Hello and welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast, a podcast that aims to inspire, engage and connect social workers with other social workers and allied health professionals doing interesting and amazing things across the world. I'm your host, Marie Vakakis. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. social work podcast it's winter and it is a crisp start to the season that's for sure I hope everybody is keeping warm and rugged up and my uh, thoughts go out to people across the country we've had some really extreme weather conditions and it's incredibly difficult for those in flood affected areas and experiencing wild winds and storms and a range of different natural uh, phenomenons or um, natural disasters really so been a very difficult time for a number of people out there and there's incredible social workers doing frontline crisis work trauma work recovery work volunteering with um, their CFAs and other sorts of emergency services so we thank you all for what you're doing in today's episode I chat with Adam Hamoud and Adam works in tertiary mental health services Uh, he's worked as a case manager And part of his role now is in education, in supporting graduate social workers and other allied health professionals, as well as students on placement. So I hope you enjoyed today's interview. Adam shares a bit about his journey into social work and into mental health social work and some of the things that he can suggest uh, you do to have a really successful student placement or if you're a graduate and you're looking to get into the mental health space. Here's my interview with Adam. Welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast. I'm here with Adam Hamoud. Welcome, Adam. Thanks, Marie. It's nice to be here. Um, Do you want to let the listeners know a little bit about your social work journey? So you're an accredited mental health social worker now, which is super exciting. Yeah. How did Um, it all start out? What got you into social work? Oh, um, it's... It's, it's an interesting question because it's a question that um, a lot of my uh, family and friends don't really work in the same field as me. So I do get asked that question a lot. And, you know, it's interesting because I don't really know what, like how I got into it. It just <laughs> felt right for me. Yeah. Um, I always knew that I wanted to work with people um, in like a helping profession, but it was quite interesting for me because I always thought of myself as quite introverted. Um, and the idea of working with people was a bit anxiety provoking at first, but I knew it was something that suited my personality, um, because I do like to help people. Um, and, yeah, I was thinking about what types of, you know, in high school, what types of jobs I could do. And I just aligned with social work the most, to be honest. I didn't really know much about it, but I knew a little bit. So I did, you know, research online about what it entailed. Um, and yeah, I thought, you know what, this sounds like me. And yeah, I think, I think I've made the right decision. Um, yeah, I've, you know, I constantly think about my career and, the directions that it could have gone into. Um, 
Yeah, and I think I keep coming back to social work, which is a good sign. <laughs> it, it is. Did you yeah. start off, um, so that was your first degree off the off year 12? Yeah, yeah. So I um, I studied at La Trobe University in Bandura. Um, yeah, I did the um, double degree. So I did a Bachelor of Human Services and a Master of Social Work. Um, yeah, so that was quite lovely. Yeah, it was, I really enjoyed um, that course. Um, yeah, so I graduated in um, 2012. Um, that's when I finished. Um, my first placement um, was in um, community mental health in an NGO. Um, so that was quite lovely. Um, and my second final placement was um, in a hospital um, in oncology and just the general acute medical wards. So, um, yeah, so that was quite nice as well. Yeah. 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 So now you're in, um, in mental health in both a sort of a therapeutic role um, and also an educator and case management split role. What's been the journey to this point? Like how did you end up in mental health as being the area you uh, like to focus on? Yeah, um, it, it's been a long journey, to be honest, because when I um, was nearing the end of my degree, um, I was quite fortunate because the, the organisation where I was doing my placement um, had a graduate vacancy there um, in the rehabilitation um, area. Um, so I applied for it um, and I got it. So that was quite nice. Um, that was a really good experience, to be honest. Um, I stayed there for nearly three years. Um, and in, in hindsight, I don't know if I mean, I don't regret it at all. Like I really enjoyed working there and it was the perfect grounding for me because I was exposed to pretty much everything um, um, in terms of discharge planning, psychosocial assessments, um, therapeutic interventions, um, disability, aged care, um, medical issues, strokes, um, ABIs, um, palliative care, um, family violence, child protection. Um, this was pre-NDIS as well, so um, which was um, quite challenging because the system, the disability sector was quite um, severely underfunded in those days. So it was quite sad as well because we would have lots of um, under, like young adults who had severe disabilities and they weren't really um, able to get much support. Um, yeah, so, and it was a lot of complex discharge planning and problem mm. solving in terms of trying to avoid young people going into nursing homes, which wasn't easy pre-NDIS. Um, um, yeah, so it was quite, um, it was really good experiences. Um, we, you know, achieved amazing things with people, lots of counselling, lots of adjustment to illness, disability, grief and loss, not just bereavement per se, but loss of function, loss of independence, um, loss of identity. Um, yeah, and there was mental health throughout that as well, but it wasn't the bread and butter. Um, lots of family work, family meetings, um, 
VCAT. So, you know, it's a good, you get a, you get everything in hospital, mm. you get a taste of everything. But throughout that time, I always had a desire to experience working in a mental health setting, like in an exclusive mental health setting. Um, so after two and a half years of working in my first job, I was thinking, uh, you know, I've really enjoyed this experience, but I want to experience mental health. I don't want to necessarily get pigeonholed into one area, especially this early in my career. So I started looking for mental health positions. Um, but surprisingly, I was getting a lot of rejection, um, which was really disheartening at the time. Um, I was, I guess I was in a very awkward phase where I was quote unquote, too experienced for graduate roles at that point. But on the other side of the spectrum, I didn't have enough clinical mental health experience where I could get a clinician job in mental health. So I was in that range where I wasn't really fitting. Um, and it was quite tricky because I applied for lots of mental health jobs. Um, but yeah, not much success. So then I thought, you know, maybe it's not for me. And I'm already enjoying what I'm doing. There's nothing wrong with it. So maybe I should stay in the hospital. So that's what I did. I got another position at another hospital, um, like a grade two position, which was, um, you know, again, it was amazing. Um, I worked a lot with um, stroke, neurology, rehab. Um, and then in, th in this position, it was really cool because I got to work with people um, in the acute stages of their illness. So when they had just had the stroke, but then I got to follow them once they went to rehab and once they got discharged. So I followed that whole journey. Um, but then, you know, after like nearly three years of that, I had the inkling again of it's not going away. Like I really, <laughs> because, because in the hospital, you do get a lot of um, from time to time clients who have mental health issues Um like clinical mental health, schizophrenia, bipolar, depression, anxiety, um, PTSD. Um, and then I thought, oh, let's try again. Um, and yeah, I discovered this organization, um, which was amazing. Um, and yeah, they took a chance on me. So that was about, that was like nearly five years ago. Um, and I haven't turned back since. So, yeah, so in that new organisation, um, like public mental health, um, um, I got a position as a recovery clinician, so a mental health clinician providing case management. Um, and then, yeah, a, a year later, I got promoted. I became a senior clinician there. Um, and they were very good to me. I was given lots of great opportunities. I had a few stints as, you know, acting team leader, did a bit of stints as acting manager. Um, and about a year ago, well, just over a year ago, actually, last month was the one year anniversary. I um, 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 did a secondment as the allied health educator. Um, and I also... Um, yeah, was successful in getting a position as the social work discipline lead. So yeah, so my current position is um, allied health educator and social work discipline lead. Um, 
yeah, which is, yeah, it's been just over a year and yeah, my um, contract just got extended for another year. So that's quite nice. <laughs> that's exciting. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm really loving it. Yeah. I, I really- um, and then, and then um, about eight months ago, I, um, yeah, got accredited. So I applied for accreditation as an accredited mental health social worker, um, which was another massive step for me. Um, and yeah, since then I've been doing a bit of private work on the side as well. Um, as in a yeah, accredited mental health social worker providing counseling. Yeah. So I'm quite fortunate at the moment, to be honest, because I've got a bit of a lot of variety with what I'm doing and I'm getting a bit of a taste of everything, which I think is quite nice. Yeah, there's, um, that's one of the reasons I chose social work was the ability to move laterally and have so much variety. Um, I do want to ask you a little bit about your educator role, but the, um, the social work lead bit really interested me and having worked, I mean, in your experience, having worked in the hospital system under that medical model, how have you um, advocated for the voice of social work in those, in those roles? Like how do you kind of see or navigate that system yeah that's a really good question because it is true that traditionally speaking um clinical mental health has been quite um uh dominated by medical and nursing um which are definitely very very important and valuable um disciplines um Um, And, you know, we have really good relationships with the medical um, psychiatric teams and um, the mental health nursing um, teams as well. Um, And with allied health, um, social work and OT and psychology um, have been quite in the minority. Um, um, So I guess in terms of um, my social work discipline lead role, it's been about... um, um, representing because it is a leadership position and it's quite a privilege to do it because I do get to represent social work within the leadership space. Um, um, so it's nice to have social work at the table for these important, you know, meetings and conversations. Um, and I guess in terms of advocacy, I think the very fact that I'm at these meetings and at these tables has been really good because I've been able to promote the discipline a bit more. Um, and I actually actually haven't felt like it has been a lot of advocacy. It's just been a lot of promotion really um, because there are some um, who don't realize the full scope of the social work profession um, and um, they have a, an idea of social work being quite pigeonholed to do particular Mm. things. Um, So, yeah, so with me, there's been a lot of um, promotion about the full scope. Um, um, You know, last year I did a big um, piece of work um, that I shared with um, the leadership team about role clarity and what social workers can do um, because a lot of people view social workers as just providing the uh, welfare type interventions, which are definitely very important, but they don't realize that there is a huge therapeutic um, background in how we're trained and how we study and what we do, as well as the education component and the statutory component as well. So um, 
Yeah, so it's definitely welfare. It's definitely therapeutic. It's definitely education, statutory. Um, you know, we can work in any setting, inpatient, rehabilitation, residential, community, crisis, leadership, management, projects, quality, um, research, um, policy, anything. Yeah, so it's just been around promotion and just showing people that, you know, we are capable of this and not necessarily stepping on other people's toes because there's room for everyone. It's mm. just because I'm promoting one discipline, it doesn't mean that I'm um, speaking lesser towards another. Like there's room for all of us. You know, mental health is so understaffed and under-resourced and it's just showing that we can all work together and it doesn't mean that if I'm promoting social work, then another discipline needs to miss out on anything because, yeah, there's room for all of us. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you what are some of those roles, but you've just reeled them all off, which really shows the diversity of social work. Um, it's all those areas you mentioned and so much more. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. And, you know, in this organisation where I work, it's quite lovely because we do have... Um, um, and it is true that in terms of clinical mental health, um, the social work profession is um, the largest allied health discipline out of all the allied health disciplines. Um, and we do have a presence everywhere <laughs> in, you know, the inpatient units, um, in management, in leadership, in um, projects, in fam we have family therapy positions, um, yeah, so we've got social workers everywhere, which is quite nice, um, especially for students who come to have placements with us to see that, you know, you, you don't have to just do one thing. Mm. Like the world is pretty much your oyster. You can just, it's important to get a foundation in your training, but once you have that foundation, you can just do anything really. Yeah, that it's a really nice segue into that educator role and it's something a lot of the students that contact me or, or listeners of the podcast contact me to, to ask about and some of the students I've worked with as well of sometimes there's this fear of, oh, I don't know what I want to specialise in or what other study do I need to do? And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. Um, but also I, I tell them get the job first and some of this will come up with experience. Like you might realise you're really interested in one area or some of them do overlap and some roles can include a lot more than maybe what's advertised. So there might be like a working group or a special project. There's always ways to incorporate a bit of your, your interests, whether that be in your personal life, like you could be into gardening and bring gardening into an inpatient unit. Like you could, there's so many ways Very to, to, to customize roles and build up those skills um, so, but what do you notice in, in your context as the allied health educator and how our students are managing uh, those questions about what to do? Yeah, it's so funny because um, I feel like in terms of students, um, because I, in, in, in my educator role, I, I wear a lot of hats and I um, work with grads and postgrads and students. And in terms of students, I work a lot with social work students, but I also work a lot with occupational therapy students, music therapy, art therapy. And um, 
and a little bit of nursing as well. Although we do have a set, one of my colleagues, my nursing counterpart, um, does coordinate the nursing student program, but I coordinate all the other disciplines. Um, and I feel like um, out of all the disciplines, um, the social work students um, tend to be more interested in mental health um, and compared to others. Um, you know, we get lots of nursing students who um, aren't really that interested in mental health, but it's part of their course where they have to do at least one placement. <laughs> um, and it's quite obvious, not all of them, obviously, but a lot of them aren't that keen. And I think it's more to do with like a bit of a fear factor. Um, whereas with social work, um, a lot of students are really interested in mental health and they really want to at least experience it just to get a bit of a taste. Um, and it depends on where a student is at, because if it's their first placement or their second placement, um, if it's their first placement, um, they might be interested in mental health just to explore it, but they might not be convinced that that's what they want to do. Um, I have a social work, well, I have a few social work students at the moment. Um, one of them um, is really interested in mental health and is really interested in family violence and child protection um, and isn't sure what she wants to do. But I keep telling her, look, it's still very early days. You don't need to decide. But what we've been able to do, which I think is really amazing for her, because even though on paper her placement is officially mental health, but what we've been able to do is connect her with our family violence specialist advisor who works in our organization and spend a few days a week with her. Um, so she's getting a, a lot of experience in mental health. She's also getting a lot of experience in family violence. And particularly she's getting a lot of experience in how family violence intersects with mental health, because we do get a lot of clients with mental health issues who are um, victims of family violence, but we also get a lot of clients who are perpetrators as well. So um, she's really loving her placement because she's getting the best of both, both worlds, um, which is good for her resume. And it's good for when she does eventually graduate because she'll be able to sell herself as someone who's got experience in mm. both fields. That, um, that's so interesting and I think I, like, I really like that you pointed out the intersectionality because even in those jobs you mentioned you had originally, they all intersect with mental health because yeah. we all have mental health. So we're always going to at some point have good or bad or somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, and the you know family violence, we know the impact of trauma on not just PTSD but anxiety, depression, any mental illness really. Exactly, yeah. It can be caused or triggered by trauma. It made me think, and it's a little bit um, just a side note to what we've been talking about is how do you recommend that students make the most out of placement? So you had this student who, I mean, did that, how did they express this desire or, or how did they even customise their placement to get the most out of it? Like what, would, what advice would you give to students listening now who... Um, are maybe adjusting to being on placement because at uni you're, you're prescribed learning, you're prescribed assignments, and then you go on to placement and workers expect you to come to them and say, this is what I need or this is what I want. But that 
it's really hard to take that hat off as the passive learner and be yeah. more active. So how would you encourage students to make the most out of placement and be more active in that learning environment? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's something that I talk a lot with the students about because um, it's, you know, it's easier said than done, but I do tell them, don't be shy. Um, you know, it's because sometimes we get students that um, keep a low profile um, and you know, I work in a massive organization and, you know, the teams are quite big. There's heaps of workers. Um, it's a multidisciplinary uh, team. So we have social workers, we have OTs, psychologists, mental health nurses, peer support workers, um, carer consultant, consumer consultant, doctors, psychiatrists. Um, it's a massive team and everyone is... Um, busy you know but in a good way like there's nothing wrong with being busy it's good to be busy um and the reason why i say that is everyone you know from morning till the end of the day gets on with their work um and there are and the, the workers might be doing really interesting things um that the student could tag along and observe and shadow um so what i tell students is you know, you will be allocated your field educator, um, supervisor, but you don't have to be stuck to their hip. You know, you don't need to stay with them all the time. Um, you know, if you overhear a phone call and you, um, of another worker, and it sounds like they're doing something interesting, like they might be doing a family meeting or a home visit or a tribunal hearing, or they might be visiting the inpatient unit because one of their clients is currently admitted, or they might be taking someone to a rehab facility to tour the facility to see if that's it's something they're interested in. Um, you know, just just tap them, just go up to them and ask them if you can tag along. 95% of the time they'll say yes. And the 5% of the time is not because they don't want you, it's because maybe the client um it's not suitable for whatever reason um um so so yeah so don't be shy um you know look at you know make contact with the other people in your team um you know ask if you can tag along um if if someone has a long to-do list just volunteer to help them out um that you don't need to be doing any grand um, I literally just had this conversation last week <laughs> with one of the students. Um, we had our mid-placement liaison visit with the university and we were saying um, in this field that we work in, um, it is clinical mental health and we're dealing with the extreme end of cases um, where there's a lot of risk involved in terms of suicide, self-harm, violence, aggression, um, neglect, vulnerability, um, so it's hard to um, allow students to just um, carry an independent caseload because there are quite large risk implications, but we definitely give students opportunities to um, lead sessions, but with supervision. Um, so that's definitely a good idea once you, you know, go get over your um orientation period to work towards something like that. But there are lots of interventions that you can do that will give you training. Um, 
you know, lots of liaison with um, external services, GPs, contacting people, um, uh, making referrals, uh, doing welfare checks, um, um, uh, providing assistance with um, accessing NDIS. Um, um, so there are lots of tasks that you can do, which will equip you with really good transferable skills. And that's what I always tell um, social workers, not just students, but even when they've graduated, because the thing about studying social work is it's sort of like you get a foundational training in a bit of everything, mm. but you don't feel like an expert in anything. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but, but that's good because, you know, um, you do get equipped with really good transferable generalist skills that you can apply in any field. And then once you start working in any given field, there's a lot of on-the-job learning that you'll learn as well. Um, so, so don't minimize what you know already because you know more than what you think you know. Uh, you just don't know it yet because you haven't had to use it. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's so lovely and really good advice for those listening who are either studying or graduates um, in new roles. One thing I always ask, um, I try and always ask the guests is what are the things that you've done to balance all of this so you just mentioned especially the risk profile of the clients that you work with how do you keep yourself engaged in work and your well-being a priority like what what are the things that you find helpful to keep you from burning out and leaving that role yeah yeah um it is really important because um not just mental health, but many fields of social work, the work can be quite relentless. Um, and, you know, we do it because we love it, but too much of anything can get a bit much. <laughs> um, so it's really important to um, have a good work-life balance. Um, you know, when, when 5 p.m. hits, just go home. Don't worry about staying back. Um, don't worry about finishing off something because realistically um, the work will never end. Like even if you stay at work 24 seven, the work will always be there. It'll mm. never end because once you do something, there's a new job. So <laughs> it's just nonstop. Yeah. So keep that in mind when you're staying back just to finish off something, because really it's going to be there tomorrow. Just do it tomorrow. Yeah, and um, you know, take advantage of the team as well. You know, if you're in a position where you have to make a clinical decision and you're not quite sure, you're feeling a bit nervous or you want to, you know, brainstorm, problem solve with someone, just ask, you know, there's always, you know, senior clinicians on the team. There's always, um, you know, your team leader, your manager, your supervisor, um, and even if someone isn't technically in a senior position, but you have really experienced people that you can um, talk to for advice. And, you know, everywhere I've worked, um, there's been really good camaraderie because I think there's a sense of, you know, you look out for each other because the work can be quite um, challenging at times. But um, 
don't, don't feel like you have to carry a decision on your own. Um, we really love it when people ask us for advice or just to make sure they're on the right track because it's better to be double sure than um, just to sit with something on your own because that's mm. when you'll go home with anxiety. Um, you know, even if your manager is off or your team leader is off, you know, most, you know, mental health services have like, you know, an after hours coordinator or a manager on call. So just make the most of that, you know, mm. um, they're more than happy to just support you. Um, you just have to ask. Um, I think um, your, le your leave is really important. So a lot of people get in the, not habit, but, you know, they might take annual leave once a year, which is good but that's, you know, 11 months of working straight. Um, so it's a good idea to just spread out a bit of annual leave throughout the year, take regular breaks. They don't need to be long. They can just be, you know, a few days a week. Um, um, just, just at least you've got something to look forward to. Um, don't lose contact with your friends, with your family, because I know, um, when we start working full-time, we, um, it's a big adjustment to go mm. from uni to full-time work. Um, it's quite like mentally draining, um, especially that transition. Um, even if you're tired, just book a dinner, go visit someone, do nice things in your own time. Don't, don't just go home and sleep because then your life will become quite monotonous and quite boring and just work sleep work sleep it's not great so just do things that you like to do exercise go for hikes go for walks you know go to dinners spend time with family friends your partners um do do the nice things don't work will always be there the work will never go away prioritize your personal life yeah. Beautiful. Some really great tips. So around setting boundaries of your work hours, um, that camaraderie, camaraderie and peer support. And I think that's really valuable because a lot of people, you know, will talk about supervision and that's one component. You know, everyone should have some good supervision, but you that's, that could be once a month. You've got all this other yeah. time in between where, you know, going for a coffee or a tea in the tea room or even just talking to someone, that peer support's really valuable. Yeah. Um, what else were you saying around good sleep hygiene and connecting with friends and family and not losing sight of the things you enjoy? It's all the, the great stuff for good mental health. Exactly, exactly. And this, these are the types of things that I talk to my clients about, you know, like in hindsight and looking as an outsider, it almost feels common sense to talk about these things, but, you know, once you're in the midst of something, um, you can easily lose track of things and lose perspective. Mm. So it's good to just remind yourself that, look, even though you love your job, even though you've studied for it, even though you've um, worked really hard to get where you are, at the end of the day, it's just a job. It's not your life. Mm. So um, it's good to just focus on your well-being um and that's something that I that I try to you know role model as well um, um yeah lots of um 
you know, I like to, you know, go for, go for runs, go to the gym, play badminton, um, go for road trips. Um, I'm quite close knit with my family. So, you know, I keep in touch with my family quite a lot. Um, just do nice things like that. They don't need to be grand things. You don't always need to go on a interstate or overseas trip to have a break. Mm. You can just have a break at home. Yeah. yeah. Thank um, you. But, so, but you. But you did mention something which is really good, which is supervision. Mm. Um, um, a lot of people, you know, because we've got clinical supervision and line supervision um, and they're two very distinct things. Um, so it's important to make sure that you're getting both because line supervision is really good um, to meet with your line manager or team leader um, just to, you know, make sure that you're on the right track in terms of the actual core business of the job that you're mm. doing the right things. But um, clinical supervision is really good for the reflective practice. Um, you know, I always, you know, when I have supervision, I feel quite nourished because um, it's where we work, we have our line manager and then we have our clinical supervisor. And um, that's one of my jobs actually as the social work discipline lead to um, ensure that every social worker has a supervisor allocated. Um, and I, we try to make sure that um, someone, if, if someone's clinical supervisor is from a completely different team. So it's quite separate from where they're working, which is good because you get an outsider's perspective. Um, and it's not really about the KPIs and the um, requirements of the job. It's more around how are you going, hmm. um, how are you feeling, how are you coping, um, you know, bringing some cases that someone might be struggling with, um, a sounding board. Um, yeah, so it's quite lovely. So um, line supervision and clinical supervision, they're really good things to make sure that um, you're having a bit of both, not just line supervision, because sometimes line supervision can feel a bit awkward because if it's your team leader or manager mm. you might feel a bit not comfortable to um, be too honest with them <laughs> yeah it doesn't really I mean if you think about what the foundations of what supervision is it doesn't really count as supervision it's more like caseload management yeah if you're talking about supervision in that nourishment way and to learn to grow to explore um, your own what's coming up for you like that's very different and a lot of people advocate um you know, who speak on the podcast around if your workplace doesn't provide that, investing some time in setting up a peer supervision group or paying for it externally so you have that space to really talk about what's coming up for you and seeing, I think we need to see some of these additional things as necessary tools for the job. So if you're a, if you're a tradie, you need to upgrade your equipment. You need to buy yeah. tools and supervision and professional development are some of the tools that we need. They're vital to the longevity in the field, to keeping up to date with current best practice and current knowledge and managing what comes up for you because you work, we work with humans and things always trigger things from our lives or we have different perspectives so I think it's yeah. really important what you mentioned that distinction between line management and cl clinical supervision 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, it is. Um, it's it's really important. You know, I've been quite lucky because ever since I graduated till now, I've always um, had access to regular clinical supervision. And yeah, you're right. If the organisation isn't providing it um, for whatever reason, um, it's worth considering private as well, external. Um, it doesn't need to be every month if you, you know, um, it can just be once every few months, you know, as long as you're meeting with someone periodically um, and it's tax deductible as well, which is good if finances are an issue. Mm. Um, or yeah, just catching up with a group of peers. Um, and that's also really lovely as well. Yeah. Right. Well, thanks so much, Adam. It's been really lovely to hear about your journey and to have someone who coordinates placements in um, a public mental health setting, I think is going to be very interesting for some of our listeners. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. And just quickly, just um, it's an exciting time to work in mental health as well because of the Royal Commission into Mental Health and the recommendations. So um, it's definitely a good time to consider working in mental health. There's lots of opportunities coming up um, all the time now. Yeah. Sure. Uh, thanks so much. No, right, see ya. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. The Inside Social Work podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast today and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you for listening. If you would like to support the podcast, you could leave a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcast and feel free to join the Facebook group. It'd be great to hear from you. Have a lovely day. Bye.